it's clear in the world of today it's either you're disrupting or you're being disrupted the ability to coordinate and connect work has never been more important the power of ideas the power of knowledge is stronger than anything on earth hi everyone i'm joe cahill i'm the chief customer officer for the project management institute pmi is the professional society for project professionals and change makers Today's podcast focuses on one changemaker who is committed to improving society through empowering women and building projects and organizations based on climates of collaboration. Listen to her story and understand how she is improving organizations and managing change for the future of work. Hello, everyone, and welcome to PMI Center Stage with today's guest, Susan Coleman. I'm Ed Hoffman, PMI Strategic Advisor, sitting in for Joe Cahill. The world of work is undergoing dramatic changes that have impact on women, men, organizations, and societies. Perhaps no change has been as dramatic as the rise of women in the workplace. Our modern work is as much about the social changes impacting work as the digital and technological ones. I've known and worked with Susan Coleman for the past 20 years. Susan describes herself as a socialpreneur, negotiation guru, coach, organization consultant who's been making good trouble for over 30 years. She has extensive global experience working with United Nations Worldwide, NASA, American Express, and others, and has worked with women and men from almost every country on Earth. Susan's mission is to build a more collaborative and peaceful world by empowering women. She is the host of the Peace Building Podcast, and she is the proud mom of a daughter and son from whom she learns daily about gender intelligence and becoming more fully human. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to PMI Center Stage. Thank you, Ed. It's great to be here, really. It's great. So I've known you, and we've worked together for a long time. For our audience, I wonder if you can share a little bit about your background and how you arrived at this point in your working career. Well, let's see. Uh, I mean, I could go way back or I could just say that um, the, the, sh- the short answer, I think, is that I was working as a litigation associate um, doing that. And I was it was so funny being with my fellow associates. You know, we would sit around and kind of go, boy, we really we really wouldn't sue anybody. <laughs> I don't know. And then I, so I, I was looking for different ways and I went to the, the Kennedy school at Harvard and got connected to the uh, program on negotiation, which it really created this groundswell around the world um, with the book getting to yes um, in more, more what they would call, I guess the interest based. I think that's the language they used about uh, negotiation strategies and um, so I started, I came back, I, I left that, pro- I finished that program, came back to New York and connected. I remember saying actually to the folks at MIT and Harvard, I said, I want to do intercultural negotiation. And at the time they said, well, there really isn't such thing. And I said, well, I don't know. I kind of think there is. And I connected to this woman uh, in New York City, Ellen Rader, who became my um, business partner for the next long stretch. And she had been doing intercultural negotiation uh, around the world with American Express, with Sharing Plow, with different, uh, mostly in corporate settings for a long time. And so I started working with her. Fast forward, we... 
um, started working with the United Nations. We um, pitched to them to do collaborative negotiation skills in their system and started delivering that worldwide. Uh, and then uh, did the same at Columbia University. Um, I felt more constrained by the training function and uh, started doing much more organizational interventions and got a lot of training in Gestalt from the Gestalt Institute of Cleveland. Anyway, fast forward again, that all took me to do uh, something called the Peace Building Podcast from Conflict to Common Ground. You know, our world of tech allows us to just do these things from our home office and what the hell, because I had been working with groups and as someone who'd been working with large groups, it, it really... It struck me how much if you create the right processes, if you create the right container, people can deal with very complex situations, a lot of polarity, and actually self-organize to create very good solutions. Yeah, which I did. So that made me want to interview people all over the world in the best processes they were using to build common ground. And that led me to then, and, and part of my own transformation and connected to culture, really thinking about women, you know, really looking at the planet and with soft eyes, as we say in the Gestalt world, you know, scanning the planet and thinking what stands out to me most on this planet. Well, uh, obviously climate change, boom, smacks you in the eye. Um, uh, this struggle between democracy and authoritarianism and uh, and then the, the the relentless gender imbalance which still exists on the planet. But anyway, those things really struck me, and um, and then I began to think, you know, and, and many believe this that that, that the largest uh, shift we could create on this planet in terms of creating a more sustainable and peaceful planet is to really get gender right, to really create a different kind of world um, where we really have oh, I don't know what the UN calls it these days, generation equality. Um, and I think the younger generations are really pushing us in that direction to what does it really mean to be human, not necessarily getting caught up in the constraints of uh, whether you are defined male or female. Yeah, no, you've uh, you've had a, a, a tremendous journey. Now, I've, we've known each other for probably about 20 years. Uh, and um, I always thought what you did was both uh, just impressive uh, when I watched you work, but also unusual. I'm wondering if it makes sense to start with this notion of what is patriarchy and what, what does the notion of uh, a post-patriarchal society look like and why is that beneficial? So, so what do we mean by patriarchy at, at work, Susan? Yeah, well, well, maybe I'll just talk about it in general. I think my understanding, and I'm... You know, is that is that the the social structure, which is often referred to as patriarchy, has been around for something like somewhere from six thousand years, ten thousand years, depending on uh, which anthropologist you're talking to. Um, but it's a small, small, small percentage of the uh, time that humans have been on Earth, and the vast majority of time that we have been on Earth, we have been way more in partnership with each other, men and women, um, than in any kind of uh, adversarial or coercive type of relationship. And um, I know that something, you know, there, there also is no evidence really of warfare. Of course, we were hunter gatherers, so it was different. There was a lot, a lot more room to move around. 
Um, but I think that often comes as a shock to a lot of people that they, they just think that war was inevitable. It was just the way things were done with humans, but that really is not the case. From everything I read from a lot of different reputable anthropologists, it's not the case. Well, it's also the importance, and there's been tons of research, right, on the importance of just having diverse perspectives to give you different solutions. Uh, can you tell us uh, uh, what is it uh, that needs to be known about women and negotiations and power? Uh, what, what, how do you try to address that? How do you try to improve that when you work with people? And why is that so important? Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, I think, um, and without, I, I, you know, I don't want to get into too many stereotypes or, gen you know, I am talking generalizations, but in general, I will say, I think women um, subtly or not subtly defer, deflect, uh, contort, uh, accommodate, um, in, and not all women do this, and certainly some men do this, but um, while, again, there are plenty of women that are plenty assertive, um, there are plenty of women that are still accommodating and deflecting and deferring and not understanding. I guess my, my, one of the biggest messages that I want to keep imparting to women is just how powerful we are, uh, how much capacity we have, because, um, uh, because we are going into systems, you know, we are hitting culture walls. I think that, organizational cultures were, were, you know, they were, we are imposters. I mean, organizations were designed, as I said, for men as they should be. Men had to go out and, you know, slay the dragon and bring home the bacon. And let's see. I mean, I guess uh, humanity really started with the XX chromosome and uh, morphed. Uh, the XY chromosome came later uh, as a way of bringing more diversity into the gene pool, but it brought obviously much needed, uh, genetic diversity. But I think, you know, the stories, the narratives like Adam and Eve, I'm sorry if, you know, whatever, some of those stories are really just, uh, they're misleading. And I think a lot of going back to our beginnings, I think some of the narratives really um, can be so empowering to women when we realize just how sacred, divine, um, and, and at the beginning of everything we were and how, and how critical we are. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, I'm always an admirer of yours is you work globally and, uh, you, you, you go to places that, you know, uh, maybe the rest of us wouldn't, uh, sometimes be even comfortable with. How did you get interested in working on international issues? Was it where they reached out to you and it became an issue. And um, and what do you see as the most important issues when working with global international teams? Well, I think I've always, I don't know, I've always been interested in diversity. And uh, I mean, I think it's where, like Ellen, my former business partner, who's been retired for years, and I, I mean, we, we got really known for intercultural negotiation. And I, I lived in Colombia, and I've traveled all over Latin America. My, my guy friend the other day was saying, God, you know, the the three places that you've been to recently, Central African Republic, Afghanistan, uh, South Sudan, you seem to pick, you picked the, the most. Yeah. And it's true. I was like picking the war zones to go into. And um, I, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, what, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but, but what strikes me is of course, I've gone into places that are designed 
they have they have military structures as their as their as their design, which both works for them and doesn't. It makes me think about this one woman I interviewed. Oh my god, she she is a rep- She's going in to disarm armed combatants. She's going into the most dangerous parts of the bush, and I have an interview with her on my website. Um, you know, she says it it wouldn't work if I was a man because they the, the the soldiers and they are all men in that circumstances she was telling me about they um if it was if it was a guy they would feel more combat combative with him um but it's me and i'm asking them to lay down their weapons it doesn't always work but they're much more open to listening to what i what my requests are yeah no that that's very powerful yeah i mean yeah i don't mean to stop you but it, it resonates on a few things um I have a, a good friend in uh, in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and she's working uh, early childhood type issues, you know, in terms of healthcare for children, uh, pregnancy, crime, all these factors. And when you think about how do you start there, um, she said you really have to start with the women in the community uh, because they've traditionally had to focus on the raising the the, the children. And if, if they have buy-in, if they have belief in what you're talking about, then the change will go someplace. If you, if you go too, uh, you know, I'd say linear and hierarchical and I guess patriarchal, then it doesn't resonate uh, with really the, the core of society. So that's kind of what I'm getting out of some of the things we've been talking about. Yeah, I think one of the things, Terry Real is somebody, he's a family therapist, but uh, he's been somebody that's I found really, really wonderful to learn from. But he says, you know, basically, we revere the feminine, but we disparage it in fact. In theory, we revere the feminine, but we disparage it in fact. And, um, you know, we're, we're sort of, we're caught up in this country, particularly, we're having a rough time because we're so enamored with lots of money and domination. <laughs> I mean, that's not the only story, but it's a big story, you know, because it's really creating huge income disparities and undermining democracy and influences what happens with us in the workplace and, um, and influences things like, so for women, uh, you know, things like childcare, which is so fundamental to our ability, you know, if we're trying to create workplaces, I think, I believe that really, really believe that if we can create workplaces that work for women, they are going to work best for everybody. I mean, I think men are going to have much better time in them as well. Um, although I don't know if that's immediately apparent to everybody all the time, but I think, no, I think you're, I mean, if you look at history, I mean, history, uh, but I remember again, I started my career working at NASA in the eighties and the nineties. And you started seeing things as women got into the workplace about, you have to consider childcare. You have to you have to consider about different benefits uh, for employees. You have to think about uh, voice, giving voice, and it, it wasn't just for women; it was for for everyone. So I think um, you're absolutely right. That's a key aspect of uh, and uh, and again, I work uh, I teach at Columbia University a course on navigating the future of work, and my uh, one of my colleagues is Jordan Sims. He's always saying the future is female. And he doesn't mean, obviously, it's it's just female, but he means that the emphasis on the communications, conversation, uh, diversity, having voice, uh, the focus on people and relationships, uh, 
is uh, is more and more important, and 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 you can't go away from that. I don't think uh, anymore. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I think I know what you think about this, but watching the pandemic and the influence, you know, of course, it's been really hard on women around around the planet. It's been hard on women because women are still doing most of the childcare. And then, and then this this friend of mine, who she, uh, a woman who works uh, for um, a pub- publications, a publishing company, you know, now people are going back. This is New York, New York, New York area. Um, people are going back uh, to work. Uh, the women are not going coming back into the office. They want to be able to stay home, and the men do want to go back to the office because they want to get away from the kids. She says, <laughs> you know. On the one hand, I think the pandemic has really been it's really pushed us backward for a lot of, a lot of women's organizations say, Oh my God. And then you also wonder, is it going to have made flex flexible hours working from home much more normative so that, um, so that that will really help women out because um, I know for myself, I would never have been able to do, I have two, you know, I had two young children. I don't anymore. They're grown, but, but I would never have been able to do what I did. Uh, if it hadn't been for the Mac computer, <laughs> you know, and, and the internet, never. So, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's. I mean, one of the questions I get asked is, "So, what's the future look like?" And uh, how it's. And and my answer is always, "It's up to us, right? It's up to people. It's not a passive thing. Uh, obviously, things happen, but um, I, I think one of the things uh, that's an opportunity, but it's also a threat, is that." organizations, societies, individuals, and teams that focus on the ability to more effectively collaborate and to tap into the broad expertise of a diverse team is going to be more successful. And uh, those that don't do it fall further behind. And so that danger of, uh, you know, I guess, uh, winners getting better uh, is uh, one of the things I think to watch for. How do you, uh, how do you make sure there's more, I guess, balance uh, across the system. Uh, but I think that's the uh, the advantage is to, uh, a focus on collaborative leadership, consensual networking, communications, all these kinds of factors. The organizations that get it right are, are doing better and better. I have two quotes that I use in my podcast, and maybe I'll add a third. One is um, Pete Drucker, the management consultant. The best way to predict the future is to create it. Uh, and then another one, which is a um, a different kind of vibe. It's it's Buckminster Fuller. Is um, don't fight against the existing reality. Create a new reality that makes the existing reality obsolete. And then I might add to that the Audre Lorde quote, um, which is you can't uh, you you can't you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. And sometimes you know I wonder about this. For like these large institutions, I've worked for a lot of large institutions, and I think it's it's a struggle for a lot of them because a lot of what women are doing, a lot of women are are creating their own organizations these days. I see a lot of younger women just saying, "Nope, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to I'm, I'm not going to go into any existing structures because it's it's you know it's kind of like the Bucky Fuller thing. It's like I I, it, I it's the best way is to create something new." And and I don't know what you think about that for large systems because it does seem like a lot of our, I mean I kind of think you have to have both. You have to have change coming from inside these large systems and change coming from outside these large. You know, it's no no point in saying it's only one way, but but it is hard. You know what I mean? It's hard for a lot of these large systems like the UN 
you know, that's just, it's such a great organization and it's so, it's so caught up in its, in the way it was formed. And um, well, it's difficult. You know, one of the challenges, one of the things as the director of the NASA Academy CKO, one of the things I worried about as a senior executive on that level was us getting comfortable and complacent. So NASA, I always felt was an amazing place after a failure. There was discussion, there was argument, there was incentive to change, to look at fine-tuning what worked. And if you go out, you know, four or five years of mission success, then for natural reasons, all of a sudden, you know, we, we don't have to talk as much. We don't need money for training. We don't need money for risk uh, approaches. Uh, there's a drive to lower costs. And I think the complacency says, hey, we're successful don't change anything. And in a world of the volatility, uncertainty, uh, ambiguity, that's a, that I think is a death knell. Things are changing so fast. You can't be complacent. So I'm going to, I think we're probably, I'm just going to say one thing, but, um, but I'm a big, I'm a very, really deep naturalist. And, uh, one of the things I've been doing is getting rid of the invasive species on the land that I'm blessed to be a steward of. And I notice how um, these invasives, they come in and they're, they're kind of metaphoric. They take over the, the, lo- the small, you know, whatever, the ecosystem, and they take the light, they take the air, they take the water. And so as I've been getting rid of them, what's been happening is all these native species have been coming up and with great diversity and really great beauty. And I think, wow, what a metaphor for what I think we can create on the planet, what we can create in our organizations, you know, this, this, this deep diversity that really allows for a lot of complexity, a lot of creativity, and a lot of, a lot of beauty, you know, a lot of... Uh... Yeah. And we, uh, we have a little bit more time, and I want to give you a chance to, to talk, if you will, about dreams and future possibilities. Uh, you're always engaging and optimistic. What makes you optimistic about the future? I will say, I mean, honestly, I just heard, and I don't know if I could paraphrase her, it was such a good talk, uh, this woman, Elizabeth Lesser, who created an organization called the Omega Institute. I was listening to her. She just gave a talk on smart hope. And, um, and but to not, you know, I'm not going to be able to paraphrase her. I will say for myself, in in recent years, um, maybe because I am a pretty deep naturalist, it's it's been discouraging. I think many of us that are really paying attention to the signs of the natural world are are getting pretty scared um, by what's happening. And so I I don't, but I've decided to be hopeful because I also am a a first and foremost a fierce mother. <laughs> of these two beautiful children and they absolutely need hope. Uh, my son, he's a, a wilderness guide. He does mountaineering and takes people up to very high places. And, you know, the, the guides are, I so say he's lucky to be going into beautiful places, but the guides are, you know, he says they're all, they're all showing, you know, exchanging photos of how much this glacier has retreated, how much that glacier has retreated. Um, so, but what gives me hope, I think, is that I, I mean, I obviously the the you know the the climate uh, reports have spoken, and you know it it looks like we've created some undoable things. Um, but I do think that that it's creating a, um, a an awareness, a level of global consciousness, um, 
a, a since such big shifts happening around racial reckonings around you know like things like me too happening like i i don't know i think we'd have a lot more fun as human beings um if we you know as we just kind of um get over some of our previous um paradigms of who's on top and who's on the bottom and and really allow for much more of a global community with global conversation and communication and creativity and teaming and um but i think women have no idea how powerful our leadership can be and how much when we really really stand for our tendency to be more i do believe women are inclined to be more collaborative but really understand the power of that and learn it and are able to model it and play collaborative hardball if we need to but with firmness with fairness um and um with uh, a desire to to really um create good outcomes that all of that adds up to a very different kind of team or culture or country or world yeah no i think um uh, one of the things that I've experienced, I've, I've always felt one of the most important things of learning, of growth, of respect for, I guess, humanity is traveling. And my guess is the fact that you engage with so many wonderful people in, in good situations, in distressing situations, that I would think you can't help but being optimistic that when people come together, and when when more voices are heard, that it leads into a into a direction of uh, of positive outcomes. Yeah, it's totally the way. I, I mean, and it's one of the things I feel the saddest about right now is that I don't know about tra- traveling right now. It's been it's been hard. You know, I haven't done much of it in the last eighteen months, and I I miss it. Anyway, I uh, yeah, I find um, one of the things that I have really learned about working with people all over the world is that I think we are way more alike than we are different. I mean, we have the same categories of needs. We have the same categories of feelings. Um, and, um, and then I think what really sometimes divides us is, is when we get very adversarial um, and um, when we get into more like what I would call toxic competition if you create a climate of collaboration, you are much less likely to see that identity group polarization. And if you create a climate that is low trust, that is hostile, that is adversarial, you know, then those kind of intercultural differences become much more apparent and much more of like they become what it seems to be the issue. And I think the real issue is the culture that you created. Yeah, I love that as a way to, to close down uh, it, it really summarizes, I think, uh, your work, but also what we've been talking about, the climate of collaboration. If you get that, you can accomplish, I think, anything. And if you don't have that, it's, it's hard really to, you know, to go in a successful du- direction for any kind of team or project. And for those who want to follow up with you from some of the, what, what's the best way to reach you? I think basically my website, susancoleman.global. Uh, this has been delightful uh, for me. Uh, so I thank you, Susan, for taking the time and uh, sharing some of your thoughts uh, for our center stage audience. And uh, thank you to the to the people listening uh, and promoting these conversations. So I'm not saying let's go out and create a climate of collaboration. Thank you, Susan. Hi, this is Joe Cahill again to wrap up the podcast. Susan Coleman emphasized several points that I consider very important. 
First, the growth and influence of women in the workplace is an essential factor in the future of work. It offers opportunities for a workplace that is collaborative, conversational, and leveraging the collective intelligence of society. Second, building a society that encourages a diversity of voices, ideas, and possibilities is essential for work that is productive, innovative, and engaging for all people. Third, we can be optimistic about the future of work since we can control our own destiny and work together on projects that become the building block of a new and improved society. I hope that you enjoyed this Center Stage podcast and that you will continue exploring the future of work with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Center Stage. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating or review. We'd love your feedback. To hear more episodes of Center Stage, visit Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast service. Or head to pmi.org slash centerstage. stage.